Hello, hello, hello. Can you believe it? It's the end of 2021. It is almost 2022. What a roller coaster this has been. I've had so much fun, so many ups and downs in the best possible way with you. I just hope you have the most magical, magical holiday and the most magical end of the year. And I just wanted to do a quick um, recap. We have some amazing new listeners. Welcome to Emotional Support. I'm so happy to have you here. And I thought it would be a fun little treat for us to go back into time September 4th, 2019, pre-COVID, <laughs> and reintroduce one of the fan favorite episodes of Candace King. You may know Candace um, as Candace Acola previously. Now she's Candace King. Um, she was on The Vampire Diaries. She is the host of the amazing, amazing podcast, Directionally Challenged, which I was so lucky to be on as well with her co host, Kayla Ewell. And it's just, she's everything and more. I've known Candace since I was a teenager. We met way back in the day. Um, when we were little child stars. And here we are now in this episode talking about real life stuff. She opens up so much about her own mental health and about struggles that she deals with. She talks about being a stepmom. She talks about being a new mom, not a new mom anymore, but she was at the time and it's so beautiful. And it's such a wonderful experience um, that I get to tap into. What's also really fun is she gets the opportunity to ask me so many questions about living with bipolar one disorder. Um, in fact, she even says in, in, in the episode, she would never feel so comfortable or open to ask these questions if it wasn't just for this podcast. So I think it's really cool. Here we are friends and, and this was the opportunity where she could actually ask the true, authentic, uh, genuine questions. I hope you enjoy it. It is a super fan favorite. It's one of my favorites. I just absolutely love and adore Candace King. Hope you enjoy it. I miss you so much, all of you already, but don't worry in 2022, there's gonna be brand new episodes. In the meantime, catch up, subscribe, like, review, tell your friends, um, and just so much, so much, so much love to all of you. Thank you so much for being my emotional support. <laughs> support. Thank you for joining us. And now, here's your host, Alessandra Torrezani. This is Candace Acola King, everybody. Hi. Um, I knew you as Candace Acola. I know. The King is a very... Uh, not that new of a thing. It's not but that it's new, new to me. It's new to you. It's yeah, new to me. I feel like I kind of upgraded a little bit. Yes, I would like yeah. that. Just a little casual Just upgrade. Candace King. You're now royal. Yeah, I know. I'm the queen to my king. <laughs> oh, that's um, so cute. Yes, it's very adorable. But we were just uh, talking about, um, I was explaining to her, as I've explained a million times on this show, how I got into this podcast. And, and I was just going to say, I honestly don't know much about being bipolar I the extent of it that I know is I think maybe seeing like a celebrity on people magazine cover saying I'm bipolar with like this beautiful photo and then just like 
still photos of their movie career and then just like a few quotes on their experience but I don't really know what it entails at all so I think it's nice that you're opening up a conversation that's more than just a clickbait sentence or just or just something not not that people I think come out in any form to make it a clickbait statement but it's just a better understanding Mm because I honestly don't know much about it at all. Well, I'll tell you, I hate to shame people, but there are people that use it as clickbait, and that's just the honest truth. It's become a very hot topic. It is a popular hashtag right now, um, and I think that that was another reason why I wanted to do this, and I wanted to be open and honest about it, because I have seen people who have great influence um, on others through social media and just through having um, a large voice, and they're using it just because it's popular and it's going to get them more followers and it's going to get them more likes, but they're not actually getting to the truth of the matter. And I think social media is also really like messing with people who are undiagnosed and just in general, I feel like kids are, are very different. I have a very love hate relationship with social media because I'm all about the technology and I think it's great that we're growing, but then there's a part where it's so evil and like there's this darkness that even someone like me who is medicated is comfortable with talking about mental disorders still every single day will look at something and be like oh shit like this is not this doesn't make me feel good you know it doesn't make you feel good or yeah yeah I'll say I'll see things that don't make me feel good it zaps my energy time just goes away and and then I, and then nothing fixes it. Mm-mm. And then I just find myself, I was trying to write an email the other day and I'd like finished the email and without even realizing it, I'd already clicked like the Instagram button. And I'm like, why? I didn't even open, there's nothing to yeah. see. There is <laughs> nothing to refresh, nothing to see. Um, and I know what you mean about kind of misdiagnosing yourself, judge, like based on the idea of what you hear other people say and mm-hmm. how they say it. And I was in, therapy last year and I came to my therapist and I was like I had a panic attack and started talking about it um which is what you do in therapy of course and, like I'm all I love therapy yeah. and <laughs> she stopped me and she's like you didn't have a panic attack and I was like no 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 I did let me tell you I and it was not an enjoyable experience I was definitely crying I was short of breath I like couldn't catch myself I needed to like count to 10 and calm myself down and she's like yeah but that's not like a full-on panic attack you gotta like reframe Mm. and it wasn't like I was I was I was emotional I was upset Mm -hmm. but I recognized my emotions and I was able to calm myself down and there are varying degrees of that and she's like you have to like that is a really heavy term that you can't just like throw around casually right and it's true. And but you I, also didn't know. And I didn't know. Um, but it's nice to, like, it was nice to talk about it with someone who could say, no, that's not what it is. And me being like, okay, well, maybe, yeah, maybe I do need to dial it back <laughs> a little bit. How were you able to calm yourself down? Uh, just breathing and knowing that the moment will pass. Right. And also feeling the feelings and not being scared of that. And uh, and just kind of breath is like such a powerful tool yeah. that I don't think any of us utilize enough, mm-hmm. um, myself included. I find myself holding my breath all 
the time. But everything that you, it's, it's so funny to me, everything that you just said to do that, that brings you down and gets you back to reality is literally exactly what you're supposed to do when you're in the middle of a panic attack. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but you may not have had the big panic attack, but you certainly know how to get I, out of it. <laughs> but that's what her point was, is like, you didn't, like, you knew what you were, you were in control of the situation. Right, right. And, and I had come to her as if like, I have this big problem. And she's like, yeah. no, you, there's still problems. Like we can still dig through yeah. and you're, you know, you're entitled to feel whatever you're feeling, but like. But look at it. Look mm-hmm. at the positive side of like what you experienced and know that there are people that don't have the ability to control it. And it's a much more physical thing than just like bringing yourself back to a rested place to digest it. But whenever I have a panic attack, which I, I usually don't have them that often, but when they do, they're, they're pretty gross to be honest, pretty gross. <laughs> but I always have to remind myself it's not real. This will pass. This feeling will go away. It's not going to last forever. And I never knew that before. Yeah. So the fact that you even knew that, you're like very prepared in case you do have an anxiety or panic attack. Like you're more prepared than anyone I could have ever expected. Maybe prepared <laughs> and slightly dramatic in certain situations. You are an actress, so <laughs> it's okay. I always like to, it's funny. I always have a really hard time crying on set. Like I have a lot of crying anxiety and my husband's always like, I don't believe you because he just sees me cry. Can you so, cry in an audition? No, God, it's my nightmare. No. I tell you, I don't know how girls do it or guys for that matter. But I know for me, there's only been a couple times that I've actually been able to bring the tears and it's because I just stress myself out and the anxiety and it's usually built up sides where it's like 10 pages of dialogue. And then on the like last three pages is when you're crying and you're like going through the audition and you're like, I'm going to die. So like, I just, I can't breathe and I'm just, and all the emotions come out. But my favorite is when they give you sides and the first, you know, scene is like funny. And then the second, you're supposed to be like hysterical, having a nervous breakdown. And then the third is like laughter again. Yeah. And you're just like, I'm sorry. Who's coming in here and doing this? There's always someone. I got to tell you, there's always, it feels like there's always someone. A lot of soap opera stars can do it. Yes. Yes. Anyone I know that's been on a soap opera opera can literally like pick an eye to cry out of. I know. And I'm so jealous. What I've I've learned is I can either go in and (laughs) give an authentic performance. Yeah. Or I can go in and just really try to make my face cry. And that usually just never turns out well for anyone in the room. It just gets really awkward. It gets super awkward. But also my coach, you know, she used to always tell me, she was like, you have to be genuine and be honest. And if the tears come, they come. And if they don't, that's okay. Because you gave the same emotion that you would have, whether the tear was there or not. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of an aesthetic thing. And she would always remind me that most people on set actually have um, the things, the menthol that's blown into their eyes to make themselves tear. Uh, that's a fun little insight <laughs> to the business. Um, where they literally blow the ice, the menthol ice in your eye. Yeah. You cry. It gets your eyes all red and seems to do It can the work. work. Um, my contacts don't. I've learned I have to take my contacts out in really? order to cry on set. Yeah. Because I can, with time and, like, breathe, it goes back to the breath. It's like, all about it's breath. It's all about breath. Um, and, again, I don't utilize it enough, and I'm trying to be better now in adulthood kind of using it. But I've learned even, like, do you cry a lot in real life? Every day, multiple times oh. a day. 
I used to. I used to cry like all the time. I cry at commercials. It's bad. I know. I, <laughs> I don't like I've stopped myself. I don't know if it's like. Really? Yes. Do you think it's because you're a mom? Yes, I do. Mm. I think it's like uh, like being like having like kids around and and like not wanting to seem vulnerable or weak or just like I'm just wanting to keep it all together because it probably also I mean I I surprisingly never saw my mom cry that much it was only very serious situations but my family does laugh cry a lot so that happens (laughs) (laughs) we're pretty obnoxious but I would feel like maybe a kid would be scared if they saw their mom crying all the time I never thought about that I I've been trying to be better at just if I feel the urge to cry just to let it happen to Mm -hmm. get more comfortable with that and sympathy (laughs) yes and um I was actually watching America's Got Talent with uh uh, my three and a half year old no and oh oh my god it gets me that is one show that will make me cry every time and there was like this little boy who's been like singing like Broadway tunes he's my favorite oh my god I love him so much and I just like started like just tears coming down my face and she got so scared she just started patting my face being like mommy why are you why are you crying and I was like I'm happy and then she kept having to like check in be like mom are you happy at me are you happy and I'm like no mommy's happy look at this so sweet yes (laughs) just so concerned and so yeah I think there's absolutely an element oh my god like when kids are really little um and yeah, you kind of want you always even for like our older kids, like my my stepdaughters. I have teenage stepdaughters. I always want them to know, like, no, I've I got this. Right, right. Yeah, Wh- whomever it may be, just kids in general and in, in high school, being around that, the challenges that are going on in the world right now, like put politics aside, like put any of any of that aside, just with social media and with mental health and with. Uh, just everything going on. I don't know how you as a mom, how do you even handle that? Uh, I mean, I know that's like a mouthful, but like, um, my husband and I talk about it a lot. And I think when it's easy at a dinner to be, to decide this is how we're going to be. And this is how we choose Mm -hmm. to raise the kids. And these are the rules of our household. Um, but at a certain point, I think, something I've learned through being a parent and more importantly being a step parent is that as much as you try to teach the children that you're raising, they teach you along the way as well. Right. And so even if you have this idea of how it's going to look and, oh, this is what I'm going to, this is how I'm going to broach this subject with them about social media or, you know, kids at school and, or politics, I don't know. (laughs) It's always so different in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes when you let it happen organically and they come to you and they'll surprise you, like kids will always surprise you. And that's what I've learned, kind of the juxtaposition of having older kids in the house and then also our three and a half year old are the right. things that she kind of learns on her own where all of a sudden one day she'll just say a word and I'm like, how, where, where did that come from? And, uh, and honestly, you know, it's been a privilege to watch, you know, my husband's daughters, or my stepdaughters grow up, and they've taught me a lot. Yeah, I'm sure. About um, just broaching those subjects. Because right. it doesn't matter. You can be the like, strictest parent in the entire world, and that's not going to do any no, good. No, no. And, and I had to go through my own journey of 
of figuring out what my role is mm-hmm. and um, and giving them the space that they need. Right. Because it, it was very confusing of like wanting to be thinking that a parent is supposed to, a step parent or a biological parent, any parent right. is supposed to be an authority figure at all yeah. times and in forgetting the emotional support side of that. Right. And, um, and that's the scary side sometimes because that's the vulnerable stuff and you want to do that part of really course. right and, and you don't always do that right and that's the hardest part about being a parent, I think. Yeah, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, what I've learned is like no one knows what they're doing and no one knows how anyone does that's it. That's what people say and they go, you're never ready for a kid and I'm just like, you know, I, I think I'm, I know I confidently am not ready right now. <laughs> like, I'm still trying to figure my brain out so yeah. maybe once I get that a little like in check, you know. But what is the difference? Like, do you know, is mental health, I mean, obviously someone like me, because I have a a diagnosis of mental health, but you are very involved in the sense where you have a therapist, like you're aware of issues. Is it, do you see mental health being more prevalent and talked about with your three and a half year old more so than the teenagers? Like, is that a thing in the young childhood development? I haven't really done a deep dive on young childhood development. I thought I would. And then for some reason, it just... Like, I was the craziest person when I was pregnant. I read every... I mean, I could have told you, like, 12 ways to deliver your baby. Like, I just was obsessed. Um, If you looked at my YouTube history, it looked like I was into (laughs) some weird stuff because I was obsessed with birthing videos because I, like, I wanted to have a natural birth and I needed to, like, see that it was possible. Right. Um, And so, yeah, I was obsessed. And then the (gasps) second that she was born I just kind of like chilled out yeah I just totally chilled out um no I I think that yeah there's certain things whenever I'd find myself like stuck in a way of like if she's having a tantrum and the way that I would handle it wasn't working Mm -hmm. after a little bit like if I would just be frustrated or think like timeout works or you know giving her my mean voice or establishing authority um I I picked up like a, a parenting book on what to do in those situations and and honestly it's like pretty similar to what I think you do in like most relationships which is (laughs) you go I hear you yeah that that's like you know just calm them down give them a hug I definitely can't have kids right now because I'm still working on that with a relationship (laughs) say I hear you you are heard I know this is how you're feeling and this is how I'm feeling and this is why my feelings were heard right and then the conversation (laughs) and I'm I'm not kidding like it's like it works for this I think every kid's different and every like parent to child's relationship is different um but you can have the same conversation with your husband and your daughter at the same time (laughs) yeah Yeah, and our teens. Like, honestly, I've learned, like, through all the different, through, like, the parenting book, my personal therapy, like, family therapy for, like, me learning, like, in step parenting books, like, it it starts with, like, you're seen, I hear you. Right, right. And, like... I, and I'm here, and I also need you to hear me. But it's amazing that you're so well-educated on these things as well, because it, it's not that it's missing, but I do see that that's missing a lot of the time with communication, and I think it's very important to mental health. Uh, it is. I, 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 I started therapy when I was 18. I found a therapist out here in L.A. Um, was this pre- or post 
Well, pre, not, this was all pre, pre acting, pre acting, and um, and I'd had a friend who had uh, gone through some tough times and and struggled with mental health, and I just had my own questions, and and I felt the need to like go to therapy to figure that out, and I'd seen wow. her doing a lot of work on herself, and so I kind of felt like. I had things that maybe I should figure out. And so I found a therapist and saw them for a little bit. And then, um, and then it was once and after that, and the way that I've been, the way that therapy works for me is I kind of go in with a goal Mm -hmm. and, or just something like that I want to tackle. Um, and then when I feel like I've kind of gotten through that, it doesn't mean that I'm cured and I'm fixed, no. but it just means like, okay, I'm going to take the training wheels off for a little bit and ride. And then when I hit terrain that I don't know how to ride anymore, I'm going to yeah. switch gears and maybe put the training wheels back on and have someone teach me how to navigate well, this. Well, therapy is different from every, for, like literally for everyone. Yeah. So every therapist is different. Every like, yeah. yeah. And if that's what works for you, and then yes. that's amazing that that works for you. And that's what works for me. And then I, um, it was at the end of season one for Vampire Diaries. Which you shot in Vancouver as well, right? We shot the pilot in Vancouver, mm. but we shot the show in Atlanta. Oh, right. And then you were there for a long time. And then we were there for a long time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I honestly, uh, I had, in the, like, I'm, I don't struggle with body dysmorphia. I don't struggle. Like, I've, I know that's a very hard disease to struggle right. with. Um, but I also noticed that like I wasn't being healthy and I'd gained some weight and I wanted, and I didn't like the way I was looking on screen and I knew it was stemming from like just not being healthy. That's it. Right. And, uh, so in my quest to like get healthy and get fit, I thought it would also benefit myself to, um, I got myself a trainer and I also got myself a therapist. So then I could have someone making sure that like I was on the path for the right reasons and I would like, and, and that nothing was getting cloudy and I wanted to make sure that that when I was talking about it that it wasn't like that I wasn't entering into any vocabulary that Mm. was um that was like bad for any vocabulary that was negative essentially right for, I just wanted for someone you to, publicly speak, speaking about it or for yourself no for myself for yourself yeah yeah, yeah. there like it, it was nothing that like anything that was going on I just was like you know what I I want to make sure that my mental health is on track I was young I was it was the first time being on a tv show and I I'd like was like wait I want to make sure I'm getting fit for the right reasons that's right. like being healthy and making sure that someone's making sure that I'm doing that for the right reasons well and I think uh for, I'm I guarantee you that every single person that listens to this show is going to be aware of the Vampire Diaries and huge fans because it was it was huge. It was it was, but we d- it didn't feel that way. That because was, you guys yeah. were in Atlanta. <laughs> we had a very normal like it didn't feel big, and and also like yeah, it wasn't like we were going to parties and red carpets and all these right. things every weekend. I mean. It was more, we were just going to, like, the local wine bar and, like, you know, and going to, like, fun dance clubs. I mean, there was not, like, a... Did you ever go to Bulldogs? No. Wait, is that in Athens? Bulldogs was in Atlanta, and it's the... the, 
the like big gay club right in the middle, and it is just <laughs> so fun. Oh my god, you could catch me there every That's night. Amazing. <laughs> no, I used to. We used to go to Noni's back in the day, which was. Oh, like, I don't know that. It was a it was a restaurant by day, club by night. Stop, amazing! <laughs> and it was the best place to dance on a Saturday night, and the whole front was like all windows and there'd be so many people in there dancing that the windows would be foggy. It was so fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was the extent of like us being fancy is you go to Noni's and you wait in line outside in the cold for 20 minutes until you get in. Like right. it wasn't like we were on a show or I felt that I was on a show and then my entire life was different. The only thing that was different is that I had money to pay my rent and mm -hmm. to hire a trainer right, <laughs> if I right. wanted to get fit. Did you have a place in LA and you would go back and forth or did um, you fully commit to Atlanta? I fully committed to Atlanta. I kept it for a few months. Um, do you remember it was the, the House of Mirrors? It was the apartment with all the oh mirrors. God, where was that though? It was in West Hollywood. It was I right by Joey's Cafe. Mirrors. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. We've it known each really other fun. a long time. I don't long think we, we, we uh, let that be established. We've known <laughs> each other for a very long time. Since we were teenagers. Yes. A yeah. lot of um, relationships we've been through. <laughs> um, lots of, um, just a lot of interesting things that we've gone through. And, yeah. and that's what's so fun to see you. Here I, ha I, I and I ran into you at our other friend Jenna Ashkowitz's birthday. Jenna was on the show um, and had a lot of fun. And it's just so funny how you get, you know, not reintroduced, but you re-see people in different worlds and different environments that you hadn't originally met them in. Yeah. Because we originally met, I believe, at the Oakwood Apartments. Probably. Could that be right? Probably. And the Oakwood Apartments were where a lot of people, I wasn't living there, but um, a lot of people that were moving to L.A. for the first time, for people that don't know, uh, they would stay there and go there for short extended periods of time. Usually their mom would be with them. Right. Like it was a lot of like the young Disney kids would be put up there. It was club med for kids. Yeah. That's what I say. It really was. <laughs> and there's a fantastic documentary about the Oakwood <gasps> apartment. What? I want everyone to watch it and know that this was not, absolutely not my experience there because I think that maybe it became very... Um, moms hating other moms and the kids like going against each other. It never, at least with me and my group that was there at the time at the Oakwood Apartments, it felt fun. It was like this big group of kids and, you know, we didn't have cell phones. We had pagers and like they would just let us run free and then you just knew to come back and everyone, you know, I was in the M building and like we would play the M game there and like it was just hilarious and this now feels watching this documentary it's very angry and aggressive oh yes it's called the hollywood complex oh wow you I'm have watching to watch that it tonight. it yeah. just feels like very um stage mommy gotcha and yeah. it kind of was like that there were some stage moms when we were there but it was mostly young fun hollywood kids and i felt like a lot of the moms were helping out the other kids like that's yeah. what i whenever i look back to like those years it was just it was interesting to meet a lot of parent, like other kids' moms, be like, "Oh yeah, I manage my child," and then all eight of those children yeah. over there. Yeah, no, it's so <laughs> true. It was like this community and commune of like kids coming here and parents being like, "Okay, you're the manager, and you're gonna live with them for a few months." And I still, you know, the kids that I still see here and there um, who are in the business, and I still ask about their moms, and they always ask about my mom because. 
you just, it was like a second family yeah. in a weird way because we all stepped away from our real homes, came to Los Angeles. We all had the same dream. You know, we all had the same auditions. And it was just, I don't know. How old were you when you moved out here? I was, um, I had had my first pilot season when I was nine. Wow. Yes. Um, and then we went back and forth for about two years. Um, and then we fully moved out here when I was 11-ish. Um, and I've been here ever since. And I'm wow. 32. So, yeah. And I'm originally from the Bay Area. So it wasn't that it wasn't far a of a difference. Move, but. Yeah, we would go San Jose back and forth on the airplane. Like, tw- we would do it twice a week. We would fly back and forth. It was, like, pretty nuts. Um, but... But yeah, I don't, I, I remember living up north in, in Los Altos. I remember that. I remember my life there, but it didn't, doesn't feel like home to me. And it's weird because so many of my friends like go back home in quotes for the holidays. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but like everyone's here. Like this is my home. Yeah. And it's bizarre. You know, it's kind of. It's this weird, like, little cult living situation it that is. I established and haven't left and can't imagine leaving. Well, it's also the experiences that only those people really understand right. in a way. Where right. unless you've been in it, it sounds so crazy and foreign and, like, not yeah. real. I um, mean, my first boyfriend was my first kiss ever, and my first kiss was on TV, and it was Frankie <laughs> Muniz. Shout out to Frankie, like no big deal. Oh, so yes, my shout out to yeah, Frankie. Shout out to Frankie. So my mom, his mom, the stage, like the um, not the stage mom. What are they called? Um, the studio teacher. Oh yeah. Everyone was there for both of our first kisses. Oh. And wow. then we dated like after for like a week. It was like real cute. But <laughs> you guys like held hands. At- yeah, we went to Universal Studios. Oh wow, City Walk, no big deal. That's where a That's lot of dreams. Pretty quickly, made. I went yeah. real fast. And he, had, and he had bought the car from the Fast and the Furious franchise, <laughs> and he had just gotten his license, and he had had the car for a year, and it was like this souped-up Subaru electric green whatever car. And he would drive me in it, and it was just like really, really felt fancy. Wow, I had made it. I had made it. I was with a star. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Shout out to Frankie Muniz. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that that was, was our yeah. world. Those, that was the world. But how old were you when you moved here? I was 16, and my family was but in Orlando, then, Florida. But you came here. If I met you, you must have been much younger. I would have been, like, 16 or 17. Really? Yeah. But we're the same age. Yeah, but it must not have been at the Oakwood then that we met because I was out of there at like 13. But did you ever go back there to like hang out? Probably. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. Probably. That might yeah. have been it. We like to think it was just like, God, isn't that so <laughs> weird? Like you think that you, oh wow, you know, it just ages me and it's okay. But no, yes, it's- Orlando, Florida, I mean, that is my dream to live in Orlando. Oh my gosh. My dream is to be that woman in Oh, God. Another documentary. I'm like, what is it called? Um, but I don't even know how to explain it. It's the the guy that owned Planet Hollywood. Oh, I know what you're talking about. It's Versailles. The Queen of Versailles. The Queen of Versailles. I know exactly what you're talking about. Do you yeah. know that she had her bathtub designed in their new house that was being built to look onto the fireworks yeah. at Disney World? 
But did it ever get, I don't think it ever I don't got care. built. That is so, was that crazy growing up near no, there? No, because we never went. Oh my Never God. went to Disney World. <laughs> my parents, I think, taught me. My, my mom likes to say that we went all the time. And I'm like, what? I think Lies. we went once. <laughs> and my dad was like, I'm never doing this again. Too many lines. And, uh, but we were universal people. Oh, okay. Islands, okay. Yeah. Islands of Adventure just opened. They had, and like, you know, I was a teen and like, that was like the cool roller coasters. And right. back then we had figured out a way, um, to sneak through the, the back entrance of the roller coasters. So you wouldn't, we'd sneak the line. Stop. How do you do it? So what we would do is they like <laughs> started the, this like wall of lockers where you could put your purses and your things. And so me and like a friend would run up the back entrance and be like, we're so sorry. Like we had just made it to the front. And then they told us we had to go put our backpacks there. And we didn't know since they're new and it's a new rule. Yeah. I'm obsessed yeah. with you. We did that a lot. And then you finally so they caught naughty. on after, because we would go there all the time. And then they're like, no, they've been out for a while. Like, you should know better. And we're like, damn it, our our run has ended. Our run has ended. Yeah. It's over. But we rode the, rode the Hulk like 20 wow. million times. Yeah. I'll tell you, that's pretty scandalous. Yeah. That, that yeah. I'd it's like to naughty. say that's, the, <laughs> that's where my scandal <laughs> ends. But yeah, that's where that was it started it. and that's where it, it started ended. and ended. <laughs> I am an angel. Oh yes. my gosh. Um, yeah, no, that's, it was, it was good times. It was fun, but it's like, I never really, I didn't do a lot of people always ask like, oh, well the Mandy Moore and like Backstreet Boys. Right. And that's Sink what and I that was going to ask. Did you ever do any of that Nickelodeon stuff? No, I auditioned once for like a Disney thing and I didn't make it, didn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, shit. And well, you know, and uh, and so it, I, I've kind of always had the, this like back. I, that's kind of like a good uh, parallel to my life. It's always I'm kind of going up the back entrance <laughs> to things. So he's just like, how did you get here? And I was like, I don't know. I forgot to put my purse in the locker, locker and I just kind of showed up. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, I was pursuing music and um, I my my dad is amazing and my mom's amazing and they were totally supporting me and doing everything they could to get the word out and my dad had found out through like a friend that he knew like this guy who worked at DreamWorks called and his name was um was basically matched a race car driver's name oh but gosh. it wasn't the race car driver Stop. and uh <laughs> and so sent my like packet to this guy and he introduced me to someone who gave me a development deal and was like, yeah, I'll, like, come out for a few months and then we'll shop you to some labels and see how it goes. So I came out here with my mom, recorded a few songs, <laughs> and then we shopped it. And then within two weeks, I had a record deal with Maverick Records. What? Yeah. And my mom was like, well, I guess we're staying and that's how we moved out here. We each had like one suitcase and then... And did you go straight to the Oakwood? Yeah, we didn't. <laughs> that's the other thing. We did all the things wrong. Like we didn't go to the Oakwood. We did go to Ikea. We learned about Ikea. Okay, and they have um, great ice cream at Ikea. Great I really ice cream. recommend Loved it. the Swedish meatballs yeah. <laughs> every time. Still a fan. Uh, but yeah, we got a house and uh, rented a house. And, um, and then basically my mom was with me until I was... 18 and literally I think on my birthday was just like love you bye bye <laughs> be good oh. um and then yeah and then my music career 
uh, ended. Um, and I just decided not to continue to pursue it. Did and you ever do a proper full album? I did. And it was <gasps> only ever released now? in Japan. I'm and it. I was a Japanese pop star for a minute. Or a popular in Japan. I w- wasn't. But yes, I was a pop star in Japan. Do you know that's for a my dream? It was like... It, I've but always it was wanted so to be weird. a Japanese pop superstar. <laughs> but it wasn't like... I, I never went. I was never invited to go. Yeah, that's it. No, um, we just found the picture of her. <laughs> yeah, that's my redheaded. Yeah. Oh my! My album that title would have been my dream. It was fair, but I never even went. And and all one day, like someone was like, "Hey, will you do a bunch of interviews for some Japanese magazines?" And I spent a, like afternoon doing them, and then a few months later, I got this like giant stack of like magazines with my pictures all over it. And then that was it. And that was like the beginning and the end. And did you? Like, did you have a mental breakdown? Because I would have had a mental breakdown. I just was like, well, this is funny. Like, this is hilarious. How did you even deal with it being alone, too? I just was like, I it was so far removed. I just thought it was funny. Like, it, to me, it wasn't real. It wasn't like, um, yeah, it just was like this funny thing that happened. Right. And it's like, of course. Of course, like, my dream was to, like, go and and, you know, be center stage and like right. do you know yeah be a pop star and it and then right when I thought like it's never gonna happen I just get like a stack of like well you know it happened somewhere so it there we go somewhere. it happened somewhere <gasps> oh my god it's very funny yeah so I have like in my memory box I have like a bunch of boxes where I keep all my stuff and there's just like this stack of me I'm like a Japanese. Your kids are gonna love music that in the magazine. Future. Yeah, it's like a fun little pop up video fact. But um, honestly, you, how did you deal with it? You really were okay. Yeah, I just I've never really taken any of it too seriously. And then I, I mean, well, I'm not gonna say never. There have definitely been moments, um, <laughs> and especially being on a show like The Vampire Diaries that was very large, and and I. Uh, there's absolutely moments where I had to check myself mm-hmm. and be like, whoa, wh- what is this about? Because this isn't, this isn't me and right. this isn't how I want to act and what am I taking so seriously here that isn't really serious? Right. And it was right. usually around like events and things where I already feel incredibly socially awkward and I don't, like, I don't, I know that sounds like annoying to say, like, I don't like events. I love a party. I actually I love, love a party. events. I loved a gift suite <laughs> and a gift bag. If they promise me one free thing, I am there. I don't care what it's even oh, for. Oh, yeah. But I just get a little, I, I do feel socially awkward. And so if I'm there for, with, like, a group of friends that I know, I think I feel a little bit better. Um, and then Walking sometimes- a carpet is the worst fear of my life. It's it's just a weird it's out of gross. body experience. It's yeah. very funny. It's very yeah, it's what I've learned is just like it's just silly. It's kind of like I think Instagram and boomerangs. I've like I've now equated like walking a red carpet to a boomerang. So hmm. if you've ever taken a boomerang and you feel like a freaking Idiot. dummy, yeah. 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 That's what it feels like to that walk is a red a carpet. That's a good analogy. I don't to think it. for everybody like I don't think JLo's out there being like, "Oh, I feel like an idiot." Like I think she's like this is like there are some people that are just good at striking a pose. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I am 
comfortable with saying I'm not one of them. I just went to Comic-Con and got it, and I hired this incredible stylist who I'm obsessed with, and I was a very big fangirl over. His name is Chris Horan, if anyone loves fashion and wants to look him up. Love fashion. Um, yes. <laughs> um, but I was like, I need you to tell me how to pose. I was like, yeah. I, how do the youth do it? You know, like how you're young. Youth, how do the youth do it? I always ask, it, how do says. the youth do it? And he's like, okay, I got it. I had to like put one foot like slightly in front of the other yeah. and then with my outfit he's like it, it'll just look cool if you have like maybe like a hand in the pocket yeah. and he was like making feel he was like that it looked great and I was like okay this is my this is my go-to literally if you see me any picture from that every photo is with one foot slightly in front of the other no. and I'm like a robot <laughs> oh, no. with one hand in the pocket just slightly like I just would take one step over not moving my body no <laughs> But that's what the youth do, you know? Sometimes that's what you got to do. It sounds like just from, like, us talking about it, even before we were on the mics, that, like, you've done a lot of work on yourself. Right. And that's why you feel comfortable enough to have a podcast like this and to have a space where you're talking about mental health. Because, like, we were talking about, like, the things we feel comfortable talking about and not talking about Mm -hmm. and the fact that you're like, yes, let's not only just have a discussion, but let me make an entire podcast about it. means that... Well, because I don't think that there are... I I know there are wonderful men mental health podcasts that I have listened to that that are by no means anything like what I'm doing in in a lot of them are much better than mine like let me just say that okay and they're actually they have the real doctors on there and they have such incredible information and things that I learn every single time I listen to them but what I'm trying to do on this show is make it as um the ABC version of, and not ABC the network, like the ABCs <laughs> of like children's like learning their ABCs, you know, of mental health and kind of just making it relatable and approachable and approachable. conversational. Yeah. yeah. It shouldn't be. I was always very fearful to speak about it, not only because I was told not to speak about it in this business, that it would be, you know, people would put a label on me that she was crazy and she's difficult to work with and blah, blah, blah. No. None of those are true, but if those were true, it wouldn't be because I'm fucking bipolar. That would just be because I was a bitch. You know? <laughs> like, let's be honest about that. Like, those are two different things. But people associate um, mental disorder with crazy, insane, yeah. like problematic. Um, so I wanted to first and foremost let that I, I have gone to a place in my life where I know and I'm comfortable with who I am and what I want to share. And I want this to be the basic version of, um, you know, someone living in Germany, for instance, right, may not speak perfect English, but maybe they're a fan of yours and they're hearing us having this conversation and just the way of you talked yourself out of having what you thought was a panic attack, even though it wasn't, they could take that information and be like, wow, I actually haven't had a panic attack, but I'm going to do this for next time. And I'm going to work on my breath. If I can help one person with one guest on the show, be able to learn something that you didn't even think you were teaching someone. That's what the whole goal is. That's the stuff. I'm not trying to preach to people, you know, um, and push down their throat mental health. Not everyone has a mental health disorder. Not everyone has a disease. But we certainly all know someone that does. We certainly all are affected by mental health. And honestly, yeah, and I would never be in a position of being like, hey, Alessandra, like, how's... How's being bipolar? (laughs) Like, how's that going today? Like, I wouldn't, like, there's never, I don't, wouldn't have a clue on how to broach that subject. Right. And 
the fact that like you are so open about it was like, whoa, oh, then I can approach that. And that's something that I know nothing about, but I would want to be supportive of and not be judgmental of and have a better understanding of and not go straight to the internet to see the clinical version of what that looks like, but what the real life version of that looks like. Well, and I feel like it's a very, um, while it's a hot topic to talk about mental health, it's also a very scary topic to ask people, um, you know, specific things that are going on. You know, I've had a lot of people in my life who have had mental, you know, health issues and have never known or... Not that they've never known. They'd be too fearful to ask the questions. Yes. Whether they ask it for me to see if there's any similarity, that maybe there's a possibility they're bipolar, or maybe they have, you know, schizophrenia, or whatever it may be. Just to have that open conversation to ask. Um, and then being able to know that it's not a sign of weakness. If you're going to a therapist, if you're going to a psychiatrist, like, there's no sign of weakness. And that's being projected out to the world by a lot of people that you're a weak person if you actually are going to get help or that something's like then wrong broken with wrong with you right yeah as opposed to taking the initiative to take care of yourself and and it's like if your car's not running well you don't just let it keep not running well eventually you have to take it in to get serviced it's going to break down yeah and it's crazy how much attention and detail we'll put into that and like smog checks and you know and we won't really necessarily think that we're worth doing that for absolutely and you know people are so much um, more vulnerable and more open to helping others than they are helping themselves. And I was a a case of that where I feel I'm very much of the um, like home giver mother hen. Like I'm like the, the woman that you come to the house, I'm the crazy Italian that's cooking everything for everyone. And I just want everyone to be happy. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't have a water. You need a beverage. I promise you, you need a beverage. And everyone's like, I'm fine, you know. But I never took that into me, into consideration where I was always pleasing other people, I never looked into myself to be like, but what do I need to fix? Yeah. Like, how am I broken? And I think a lot of people who deal with mental health do that. They switch the problem on themselves and they push it onto other people, trying to help others, because the more they help others, the more they're not going to have time to take care of themselves and they'll be distracted by it. How old were you when you were diagnosed? Um, I was 22. I was diagnosed by an acupuncturist. Whoa. Yep. Um, I had been... How did you take... Were you like, um... I was like, you're crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Were you like, excuse me? I was like, you're bipolar. (laughs) He was like, no, I'm actually not, but that's cute. Um, Yeah, I was 22. There were times... The reason why I'm so fascinated while on this subject of myself about the diagnosis, why I ask about like your three and a half year old is... I know my mother, when I was three years old, starting when I was two, out of nowhere, I would just start banging my head against the wall. And my mom would have no idea what was going on and she would stop. And it first happened when I was in an airplane with her. And we were sitting in the airplane and I was laughing. And the next thing I did, I started banging my head against the window. And everyone in the airplane was like, what the fuck is wrong with your child? Like, are you abusing your child that they're acting like this? Like, she had no idea what was going on. And she would take me to doctors and they'd go, oh, she's just having a temper tantrum. Like, whatever. And I was like, she's not having a temper tantrum. Like, she she just knew in her heart that something was wrong. Um, When I was five, and then it went away, right away, 
when I was five, I started having problems with crossing thresholds. So um, I, I like I couldn't leave the the house. I would like to. I'm gonna actually make a cartoon of it so people can see because I can explain it with my hands, but I have a hard time explaining it with my mouth. Um, no, but I couldn't cross thresholds. So um, it happened one day. I woke up. Uh, it took me two hours to go from one side of our front door to the other side. I kicked my mom and my dad multiple times. I punched them. I was screaming. I was biting. They had no idea why. Once I literally got across the threshold, I was fine. fine. I went to school. Like, I had a good time. Then it started in dance class. Um, I was a professional dancer when I was a kid, so that's where I spent all of my time, at the dance studio or the karate studio. It was one of the two. And I couldn't cross into the dance center. No one knows why. Same thing would happen. My um, my teacher, um, Sue Lehner, who's um, no longer with us anymore, but she, she was my biggest inspiration. She was so loving on me, but so tough on me and was like, you are not, not coming through the store right now. And like she and my mom would physically pull me and it would take, you know, 30 minutes to an hour to get me in. Um, it happened in my karate studio too. And so my mom took me to hypnotherapy hypnotherapy finally worked. They realized that I just had complete perfectionism and that I was afraid that if I stepped out the door that I would begin failure. And I was five. So like, like, so imagine my mom was like, what the hell? And my mom was a CEO and CEO and CFO of computer technology companies. And she went from running and being in boardrooms. Like she, her water broke in the, boardroom when she was giving a conference to 200 businessmen so it's like a boss so she stopped all that to raise me and I was way more exhausting than anyone else and then on the set of Caprica I had a panic attack no one knew it um a set doctor came in only a few people from the show knew um and he gave me a beta blocker which just stops your heart from racing it's not like a Xanax maybe it is but it's not a Xanax it's a beta blocker um they give it to a lot of actors who have nerves um, going into auditions. Like, it just stops the... It slows the heart rate down. That's all it is. So it doesn't make you feel any different. It's just the nerves of the shaking. So a yeah. lot of people do that. I cannot do that. I I would have a quarter of it, and I'd want to throw up. And I have had it on a plane because I'm a fearful flyer, and it doesn't really help. So I don't, like, I'm not saying go out there and get yourself some <laughs> beta blockers. <laughs> It's not going to do it for you. But yeah, and then when I was 22, we still didn't know what it was. Um, I had distrusted every therapist. I'd fucked with every therapist. Um, And my acupuncturist said I suffered from chronic migraines. I had numbness in my body. My mood swings were very high, very low. And whatever it may be, Dr. Drew Francis goes, I think you might be bipolar. (laughs) I said, what? And I got so mad. And then I went to a doctor a new psychiatrist, and I had said this to her. She said, well, absolutely you are. Wow. And then going back in history, having my mom in there saying all the different things, these were all signs of bipolar disorder. So get full circle with my mouth full of wow. my whole my story that I've exhausted you with. No. I. <laughs> That's why I ask about children is because, and what I think I'm most curious about on this show is I like knowing what people's childhood was like um, because you can see a lot. Now, I'm not a specialist. I'm not a doctor, so I can't say, oh, well, you're this and you're that. No, but it's also a way for you to reflect on your own childhood. Absolutely. Like, I think we're, I think 
at a certain point in life, you turn a corner where I, your 20s are like very youthful. Obviously, your teens are. Um, but in your 30s, it doesn't mean all of a sudden we're like old. I'm not no. trying to be like, you know, I'm realistic. We're still very young. Right. However, it is a time when all of a sudden this like reflection period starts kind of like drifting in and out more throughout the day. And I think it's like you see people that are younger and, and then little kids and you start thinking about like your experiences and, you know, how you were raised or what your time was like in high school and in middle school. And um, I think it says a lot about, it, it, you know, it kind of it, reflecting from a perspective of adulthood, I think, gives kind of like a new perspective on it that you just never really had. Absolutely. And I think that it's so therapeutic for me to kind of speak about it and hear other people's stories to see, you know, where our similarities and where the differences were when we were kids. But I think the ultimate goal for me is making mental health stigma-free, obviously. Um, but I'm just, I, my goal, my personal goal is to help children with mental health. Um, because I just, I know if my mom had that book, if my mom, you know, had the parenting book and the YouTube videos that you did to look up all the different birthing techniques, right? If she had that in regards to, hmm, I think my child might have a mental disorder. Is anyone else going through this? Because it wasn't talked about. Yeah. And my mom was the only one that was actually talking about it and she was getting shamed for it. Um, so she kept quiet. Um, but well, also when you're told they'll grow out of it and then right, you get a moment of time when it is all okay. And then you're like, wait, am I overreacting? Mm -hmm. You don't want to put your children through like things that they aren't like taking them to doctor after doctor after doctor at a certain point. You're like, maybe I am just creating this to be a problem. It's, I mean, as a parent, now, there's been many times where I'm just like, am I overreacting by bringing her to the pediatrician right now? And maybe sometimes I am, and you know what? Other times I'm not. And it's just better to do it anyway, but I totally understand the feeling of you're just trying to do the best by your kid, and then you're also second-guessing everything that you're doing. Second-guessing everything. And I think that we have so many resources now in this world that I think the best thing to do is to share and share and share because if you if I could help one adult right now, I, I, I wish that I could help one parent who then has a kid that maybe had the same issue if I share my story and they go, oh, my kid used to do this and at this time and this time. I was also an only child, so my mom had no idea to even compare it to someone else. Yeah. And she just thought I was, you know, singing and dancing and wanting to be an overachiever. And I loved math and I was like very advanced in that. So she just thought, oh, my daughter's just like a lot of energy. (laughs) That's all she thought it was, is I was just energy. But why wouldn't, yeah, why why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you think that? Do you think that this um, like journey and especially looking at, giving other parents the opportunity if to have information, if they're maybe experiencing something similar, do you feel like it's also a way for you to reconnect with like yourself as a child mm-hmm. and to kind of make friends with yourself as a child after all these years? Like to kind not like so rewrite the experience, right? but to like give it space to be like, that was okay. Like that's in look at it in a new way of like, of, of making peace with it in a way. You know, it's so, funny that you say that because I loved my childhood 
And like, I can honestly say, I don't remember one bad memory. The other thing that I should like on a side note is when you're bipolar, you black out a lot of things in your life. So I'm sure that there were a lot of really tough times, but I've blacked them out and I don't remember. I don't remember a lot from 15 to 22, um, which is so strange to most people. Like, what do you mean you don't remember? I'm like, I just don't remember. Um, Because some of the occurrences that you're talking about seem very traumatic and weighted. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And And it wasn't to me. Yeah. Like, it didn't feel... Because I guess another thing with bipolar disorder is like you have these episodes and they're like these manic episodes and I like to call them adult temper tantrums because that's what it feels like. And it's stuff that I still go through and I would never do it in public. It's always, of course, to the people I love, like my boyfriend and my mom. So, you know, yay, guys. Like you're so lucky to go through with this. But it's like an adult temper tantrum where it lasts for, you know, 30 minutes. And once it's done, like you snap out of it and you're totally fine and you can just go on with your day and everyone around you, it was like you were the Tasmanian devil and you came in and you created this whole like tornado and then you're like, great, you're like, awesome. And everyone else's world is like, you just fucked the whole thing up for us right now. Like, how are you? You just have no concept of how bad you can go and how much your world can spin around you. So I think that I know how tough it was for my mom and I can relate to her in that sense being an adult now and being around kids all the time but for me even though they were traumatic experiences the feeling went away so fast that wow. I never for I never remembered them and like even talking about it it doesn't upset me it doesn't make me um angry or sad or that I missed anything in my life I it's just like factual it's like I never had any siblings like that's how that's as separated as I am from it if like I don't know any different like it was fine and I was very blessed because I had a mom who was my best friend and loved me like no matter what but you know I have no relationship with my dad and that's because of that and I stopped talking to him when I was 15 or like 16 um and it's because he's bipolar and he never wanted to get diagnosed and wanted to be on medicine to start a relationship and, and be sane for himself. So it was something I had to take myself out of being undiagnosed myself at the time and not realizing it. But I, I realized the importance of um, being diagnosed, finding a solution, you know, helping the problem and like continuing on with your life. And so I think that it's something that I just was like, this is this is what it is. Yeah, you know, it's did hard. you did you feel like the even? Do you still have current episodes or what you were saying, like the Tasmanian Devil mm-hmm. episodes now, even with medication? Or? Oh yeah, oh yeah. But they are like, do you are you aware harder, that it's happening? Totally even after aware. all this time, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Totally aware. I laugh about it with my friend Eden. Um, who who's on the first episode of, of the podcast and she and I did a Netflix um, dance movie together and I'm talking about it a lot because I think it's so funny but she and I basically were both the first day of shooting both realized we were both bipolar and boy bipolar one and it was the first time that either one of us had not only met someone who was also bipolar like physically around our same age but also actresses and had to work together <laughs> and it was like oh my god and so we will exchange stories with one another and she's engaged right now and 
And she was telling me like a situation that happened with she and her fiance where she just like doesn't even know why she got upset. It was over a water bottle. And like she like, you know, didn't know how to deal with it. And she like threw the water bottle and she was like screaming, blah, blah, blah. And then she forgets and like everything's fine. And I'm like, oh, my God, like that was me. Like that and that is me. Like that happens all the time. The only way my temper tantrum stops is if my boyfriend Sturgis or my mom or whoever whomever I'm with like just like walks away because it's like a baby, like a baby wants the attention. And even though I'm not aware that I want the attention and on the other side, I am super aware I want the attention and I can see what I'm doing and I can feel it coming. It's such an explosion that if you don't release it and if you don't throw something, if you don't, you know, hit something or you don't punch yourself, like you you can't breathe. It feels like your body's like dynamite and slowly going to explode. It's so weird. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, you ha- it has to, you have to like <laughs> live through the experience. It, like, are you, is, I'm like, you I'm trying to, to find a parallel. The, the but, tantrum. Yeah, yeah. You have to like release it. And if you don't. It's like a volcano. Yeah. If you don't, it's just going to, it doesn't go anywhere. It's like that energy that you have to get out. And if you don't get it out, it's still in there. But, but that's I'm, incredible that you have a support system in which they know how to handle it. And I think that that's a, a lot, um, of not only like your partner and like the people that you love that also love you that like they're willing to show you that they know how to handle it and that they're going to put in that effort but also that like you recognize it on your end too mm-hmm. and that you're going to do everything you can to like understand it for both perspectives cuz mm-hmm. it is it's like a, it it's it would take i would assume it's everyone in the room has an understanding and it's not just the partner and it's not just you it's kind of like everyone coming together to figure that out and i'm not someone and and i'm not saying that this happens but i'm saying that i'm not someone um that wants to hurt other people it's not like an explosion of like i need to hit someone in order to feel like better it's always me. It's always like my issue and me wanting to hurt myself because that's the release. Um, and that's one thing I'm lucky about because I know sometimes that's not the case. Um, but it's really tough. It's tough. I mean, Sturge and I have been together for over four years now. And I mean, every single day he learns something new. And he, um, I'm very blessed to be with someone that wanted to put the work in because behind my back, like he went and found a therapist to talk about it. He found the books, he did the studying, he, he learned as much as he possibly can about it. Um, and he's surprisingly enough actually has a lot of friends that are bipolar. So he learned from them and asked the questions. And this is the first relationship that I've actually been in where it feels like safe. Yeah. Um, and it feels like I have a partner opposed to being in a relationship where I'm trying to please them and like give myself up for them. But oh yeah, I've had fucked up shit happen. Like, yeah. I was telling someone yesterday that this dude literally changed my medicine on me because he said that I didn't need it. And like it made me that much crazier and he did it on purpose so he could like go behind my back and be like shady. He was also like verbally the most abusive person I've been around in my entire life. Just a bad, yeah, just a bad. He is a sociopath. He's a bad seed. But I mean, but that happens. And then people who are, you know, diagnosed with mental health, they think it's their fault. So they stay in these abusive relationships, which I did, Yeah, you know? Um, So it's like all different kinds of voices I'm trying to get out for people to no, like, it's okay, you're crazy. Were you, like, <laughs> were you ever against 
trying? What did you ever have a period of time where you're like, I don't want to be medicated? Was that like a pushback? Yeah. Totally, especially being an actress, because I didn't want to be numb to my emotions. Um, what made you think you would be? I just assumed that all medicine, like antidepressants, like I'd seen friends that have been on the Zolofts and Xanax and all of these antidepressants, and they become different people. And not bad people, they just become kind of... Um, and obviously it wasn't the right medicine for them. That's why they ended up the way that they did. But very zombie-ish, you know, very just like, meh, go with the flow. Like nothing, not there. They don't connect in the eyes. Yeah. And being an actress, I was so scared that if I would get on medicine, I wouldn't be able to hit the comedy notes. I wouldn't be able to get the tears going on set. I wouldn't be able to feel the emotions that I would feel dead inside. So I pushed it as much as I could not to be on the medicine. But then um, the medicine I'm currently on called Lamictal, which is for bipolar disorder, because it's the only mood stabilizer that doesn't unbalance your emotions. It's weird. Yeah, but you tried it out and then you knew it worked. Yeah, and I and, tried a bunch of shit. And like yeah. this just happened to be the one that like works for me. I'm no different in personality. I'm exactly how I was. Well, that's not true. I'm very different in personality <laughs> in the sense where I'm not like dying over here in the corner. But I, I'm like aware of everything that's going on and I don't feel drugged. And I and I'm such a control freak. That's why I don't do drugs. I don't drink like I'm too afraid of being out of control and that's what I thought I would be like on medicine because you had felt out of control Mm -hmm. another yeah yeah but you know then you read about all these people that come out being bipolar and that are open about their medicine and you're just like well fuck man like it's kind of a cool club like I might as well just embrace (laughs) it and go with it you know I just found out, I, I mean, I always knew this, but I guess I just re-found out that Catherine Zeta-Jones is bipolar. And I was like, oh, I forgot that she was. That and was like, the magazine article that, like, that popped up where I just, and that's all I knew about it. Like, I didn't, and that's where I think that this is a really great space that you've created, that it's an approachable way of talking about mental health. And, like, I would never have asked most of those questions I just asked you. Oh, cool. Like, ever. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I would feel, like, so uncomfortable and awkward or feel like I'm, like, or putting you in a p- vulnerable position to talk about it. But you're right. It's, like, we should be talking about mental health. And it is something that, like, a lot of people deal with. Mm-hmm. And creating that space to say, hey, it's okay to ask questions and it's okay to, you know not know how to broach the subject and to educate yourself because like, you know, if anyone else is going through anything, it's then nice to have like some sort of an education on, on what it could be or how to handle it. And I love talking to you because not only are you an actress, so you've felt the struggles and you've been through the ups and downs as well, just even without mental health, just being in this business is like exhausting <laughs> enough. It's a kooky one. It's a kooky business. But being a mom, it's I, I just love sharing my story to mom so they can, you know... I'm not saying that this is something your daughter has or your friend's kids or any of that, but it's just being aware of like, oh, interesting. Like there are signs as kids. It doesn't just happen as adults. You know, it's just, I I love sharing that with moms because I'm not really in a mom world, you know, and I, I, I love kids so much. So I just, I love learning what the new things that people are talking about in schools and and what moms talk about and what the dads talk about. Like, it's just so fascinating to me, you know? What's funny is that there are a million freaking books on sleep training your child. 
like how to get a baby to go to sleep. Like so many sleep training books. But I don't recall like um, an emotional or I'm sure there are, but right. I don't recall like <laughs> specific a jumping in your face. Yeah, a multitude of emotional um health books on like on children mm-hmm. and not just like how to implement like you know a peaceful like how to implement screen time but like a genuine emotional um and mental health and how to broach that subject or things to look out for and um I don't really recall that being much of a conversation and and you know, they tell you a lot about poop. They tell you all these different poop colors that you got to look out poops. for. Everybody poops. So many poops, you know, that you get to look out for. Um, but it is, I've never really thought about it until we talked about it today, that, um, like, how that is an important thing to know. And I, and parents should talk about that more. I just, um, there's this meditation teacher that, uh, that we sat down with and, um, uh, Kaylee, Yule, and I have a podcast, and it's called I know Direct- we have to know it's about that. It's called Directionally Challenge, and we have an episode with a um, with the. It's a, really funny with meditation with with a meditation teacher, and she was telling me as she was leaving, she asked if I did any meditation or had tried any had been anywhere where they taught me how to meditate with my child, and of course I was like, uh, no, <laughs> like I don't even I've meditated like once or twice in my whole life, right. um, and she was like, it's really great. Um, Um, If you just do like, there's this really great technique I always like to share with parents where you sit across from each other and you just hold hands and you go like eye to eye and you're like, okay, we're going to play the staring game where we're going to hold hands and we're going to look at each other in each other's eyes. And she's like, you can start for like 10 seconds or 30 seconds. But she's like, it's just a great way to really connect with your child, but then also to teach them how to like calm center themselves and and like center their attention on one thing because she's like with tv and the way like even the way if you watch um like lady and the tramp versus like the incredibles movie like that's a two those are two very different film experiences where like the cartoons Mm. that we grew up with were much slower paced Mm. they're like wonderful yeah and the ones now are awesome and hilarious but it's always something crazy happening and it's just wild and um and it made me think i was like i would never sit there and try to do like if anyone was like hey have you tried meditating with your child? I would just give them one big eye roll. And then after hearing that, I was like, well, damn it, that seems simple and something that might be really sweet. And, you know, and I guess we've done that and I've done that in an acting class. So why not try to bring that to home? But um, I think that there should be more literature and and just like parents talking about... um, their kids' mental health a little bit. Instead I'm a of firm like, believer in meditation too. So if you're, do you do a lot of it? Um, I do transcendental meditation, Whoa. and yeah, it saved my life. I know that the cool kids call it TM. Yeah, I I I call do it you TM. I TM. <laughs> I didn't know what TM was for the longest time, and everyone kept being, and I was like, God, what is this like AA or something? Like, why don't I know what this is? And then I found out it was transcendental meditation, and I was like, Oh. I'm going to try this. And it took me about three and a half years to try it. It's very new. But um, but I uh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. But it's interesting because I, I don't know the specifics, but they say for specifically transcendental meditation, I believe you don't start the kid until they're like 10. Yeah. Specifically that. 
I don't wow. know why. But I, my mom, she used to take me to yoga all the time with her to her Kundalini yoga when I was like six years old and make really? me meditate with her. And I remember I hated it. And she made, she would make me meditate with her on the bed. She'd be like, "Okay, let's take a little meditation." And the whole time I'd be like, "This sucks. This is so." Boring. I can't wait to leave here. But then I'd wake up like 10 minutes later and be like, what happened? (laughs) Just so zenned out. I think you should try it. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'll start with like the eye to eye thing, but I still haven't figured out, I still haven't figured out meditating, but for me, that all goes back to making time. It goes back to like the crying thing of like being vulnerable, making time for myself. Um, Like I, I've been, I haven't, been to my therapist here in a little while just because like the things I was working on I felt really good again I took my training wheels off and I felt like something was missing lately and I was like I feel like I need a push and I need help right now and I don't know I don't feel like I'm gonna find it in therapy and a lot of it has to do with like my body and the physical sense of feeling good not Mm. like not the outward appearance of my body and so I was like Finally, I was like, well, what if I just, like, tried getting a personal trainer to see if that, if, like, pushing me? And I was like, no, that's so dumb. That's such a narcissistic thing to do. Cut to, you know what, guys? I got myself a personal trainer. Good. And it feels like going to therapy. It, 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 the way it's helped me sleep better. It's helped me, like, take better pride in what I'm eating and drinking. It's reminded me what my body's capable of. And, and it reminded me that, oh, yeah, self-care doesn't always look the same for everybody. And it, that's, like, Absolutely not... And not. it all depends on, like, the intent that you're putting into anything. Like, you can go to therapy and also, like not get what you want out of it if you're not really showing up. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also go, you can do anything if you're not like showing up to kind of explore what, what you can get out of it. I completely um, agree. Yeah, and so it was funny. It's like it all, self, self-care self looks different for everybody. Um, I think meditation is going to be my next version of oh, that. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but I'm like dipping my toe. But go at your own speed, toe, go you know? My own speed, yeah. Um, you know, I've downloaded the apps a million times, but, it, but it, it was taking that first step. It's always like looking up the, like I always get my, find my therapist from psychologytoday.com. Really? Uh, yeah, that's where I always get my therapist. Or a friend recommendation. Okay. I've seen multiple friends therapists. Um, I'm sure people would have different opinions on that, but it's worked <laughs> out for not most neither part. here nor there nor right now. There. Um, and then yeah, and then it's just taking that first step to be like, I'm gonna set up this appointment, or I'm gonna get the app and put 10 minutes on the clock and just show up for myself, or I'm gonna let myself cry while I watch America's Got Talent with my three-year-old. Yeah, because you know what? You can. Because you can. And can it- you tell me more about Directionally Challenged <laughs> real fast? Because, like, I listen to it, and I always want to call it undirectionally something else, <laughs> and that's not right. It's Directionally Challenged. But that's very on brand to just have, like, a very messy version of the name. Yes. <laughs> um, we, it's, uh, it's a podcast that I have with uh, Kaylee Yule. We both worked with each other on The Vampire Diaries um, many moons ago, and we've become and stayed best friends ever since. Yay! She's and she the just best. had a baby, she right? She just had a baby. <gasps> She's 
freaking superwoman. Um, and uh, yeah, we started this podcast a little over a year ago. Wow. We we like to say that we're women in our 30s who thought we'd have things figured out, and we don't, and that's okay. So we stop and get directions from some people who might have it figured out. I need lots of directions. Well, so do we. <laughs> um, we have some really fun guests. We do like some celebrity interviews. If you did watch Vampire Diaries, we have some cast members that join us, but then we also have... Um, like we've had uh, Gail Simmons from Top Chef talking about like just food and how much we lo- like all the all the recipes that made us since childhood. We've had um, Aisha Tyler on with a friend of ours, Karina McKenzie. Love her. Um, just like two amazing women who are really, really close friends to show like how important it is to surround yourself with people that are going to cheer you on. Um, we've had, uh, we've even had a porn star on the show. Stop it. Who? Yes. Her name is, T- well, adult film star. Sorry, Tanya. Adult film star. Mm-hmm. Um, but she is like a badass entrepreneur that actually runs her own PR company <sighs> and is a director and um we actually ended up talking about her fertility journey really yeah she um she probably never shared that with anyone no yeah she was like absolutely i can talk about the industry but if you want i just had a baby 10 months ago and i have this crazy like four-year fertility journey that took me all over the world exploring options um yeah from like europe to like South America, all over the place. It's a really, really fascinating story. Um, so we got a list of the porn star. Yeah. <laughs> so we're kind of like, um, we kind of take on a lot of topics, but we always try to learn something by the end. Like I was saying, we we have someone who, um, uh, an episode coming out soon, talking about meditation, and and so that's something that Kayla grew up with. I did not. Really? So there's, you know, something that we were kind of learning together. Yeah. So all kinds of fun stuff. Oh yeah, God. and you can listen to it wherever you listen to your podcast, or you can find us on Instagram, at Candice Kayla is our Insta And name. you also are going to have a live show coming up. We do. It's on September 4th okay. at the W here in Los Angeles. And if this comes out after, I will be sure to cut this part out <laughs> and I will dub in a voice and I'm going to pretend to be you and be like, "Our new, you can do our new show is, and I'll say, November 30th. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Now I end the show with the same question. Okay. It could be a light answer. It could be very deep. But, Candace, what makes you get up in the morning and continue on with your life? Uh, What makes me get up in the morning and continue on with my life? Um, My husband's cup of coffee that he makes me most mornings because he's really good at making coffee and the fact that everyone needs food and to get to school. (laughs) It is. And I'm totally so okay true, with that. Though. It really is. Like I I am not a morning person. You can ask my entire family. <laughs> like anytime that I suddenly like wake up and actually have energy, they're all like, Are you okay? Like just shocked. Um I'm I'm a I like used to be a night owl, never wake up in the morning, and I thought that that would change after you have kids. It doesn't. You're just way more tired all the time. <laughs> um but I'm totally okay with it because by the time, like, everyone's in school and everyone's, like, good and and everyone's, like, in the groove of their day, then I, I'm like, oh, this is it. Now I'm in the groove of my day. And You're like, like, I did it. Yeah. And it's, like, been a journey already. And you, like, made someone. 
Like you yeah. made a person. I had help. I did have help. But you made a person. I grew the person. Yeah. <laughs> I, I grew her myself. He, yeah. Um, which was, that, that's been pretty cool. But yeah, it's like, it's, you know, just, it's nice to wake up in the morning. I always lived alone. That's been a really big adjustment is, is um, all the noise and chaos. Yes. And credit to my family for being patient with me between like me being weirdly obsessive about, no, that's my suitcase. But I bought that hummus and like, you weren't supposed to eat that. Like just ridiculous childlike things of like, so obvious. I'd never really lived with roommates or anyone else. Um, And, but it's nice to wake up and, and hear the noise and smell the smells and and feel the like what what can, what can I help you with like right. who needs to go where we're all part of this machine together right. so it's a good machine to well you've already helped me with a lot so <laughs> <laughs> so I think you're doing pretty well oh, so far <laughs> I don't know about your kids but uh, <laughs> you're helping me over here um, well I love you so much and I can't thank you enough for coming here because this was just. You're so busy and you're so popular and you're so fun <laughs> and you're so sweet and you're it's like not that. real. No. And you're so famous in Japan that I'm, it's like, how did we get you here? I mean, that really is the, that's the ticket right there. <laughs> that's the only, yeah, my, the rest of my day is really taken up with being a pop Just star in Japanese Japan. Japanese pop superstar. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, thank you so much. And Thanks thank you for coming on Emotional Support. Yeah.